0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the Old City of Jerusalem in Asia Torah overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're discussing money and uh, Judaism and how to deal with, with the two. Now, money and Judaism are never supposed to be at odds with each other because a large portion of our Talmud, which is, I imagine, pretty Jewish, is talking about money matters. So, obviously, we're supposed to be involved in money, not to mention the fact that we've been told to be fruitful and multiply. Well, kids cost money, yeah, and you're going to need some money, which means you're going to be dealing with, with Judaism because you're being fruitful and multiplying. Like, uh, like for example, uh, someone who has eight kids today, two of those kids are his and hers, and six of those kids are God's. Because these days, the average family has two children, but in the observing community, the average family could have eight, nine, or ten children. So the first two are theirs, because they might have had them anyway, Well, the rest of them are the divine kids. And since I'm on that subject, it's just a funny thing about them is they really are divine. Why? Because the first two children of any family are experiments, because parents have no idea what they're doing. Okay? No parent knows what they're doing with their first kid. I don't know why, but nobody seems to know what to do with the first kid. But p- people have dreams of being a parent one day, and I guess that's what they live out with the first kid. Now, when they see that just totally failed, so they try the opposite with the second kid, which, of course, doesn't work either, because, again, it's just another formula. It's just the opposite formula of the first kid. So, so then the third kid's when you start actually becoming a parent, and, which is great, and that's why you've got to have a lot of kids, because your first two experiments shouldn't be the ones populating the world. Hmm. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that tangent. We're going to be going on to, uh, anyway, money and money and Judaism are, are um, they're, money and Judaism, maybe I'll tell it like a funny joke they say in the Yiddish world, that when you, you know how you like, you squeeze an orange and you get orange juice? Uh-huh. So when you squeeze the Jewish people's prayers on Rosh Hashanah, you know what you get? Money. <laughs> but when you squeeze a Jew's money, you know what you get? Mitzvahs. Because why is that Jew begging for money? I mean, what is that Jew doing anyway? All they're doing is just trying to feed a large-sized family, send them to private schools because they need... If they don't live in Israel, they have to go to private schools. They have to go to private schools because you want them having a tour education. And you certainly don't want them marrying, you know, Christina Cross. So, so you're going to be raising them with a very expensive education. And you're, and not to mention, you know, every week you're throwing Thanksgiving dinner. You know, like, there are people who budget Thanksgiving dinner, right? Would you agree, guys, that, like, there are people who actually think about their budget and, like, and we're going to be throwing Thanksgiving, so we got to, like, think about that this month and stuff. Yeah, so we have Thanksgiving dinner every single Shabbos night, and then every single Shabbos day. We have Thanksgiving dinner twice a week. And if there's holidays that week, so we have Thanksgiving dinner all week. (laughs) go budget that, you know? I mean, it's just insane how, how much can go to, into a Shabbos meal, and especially when you start dealing with craft beer. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, I was like, I, I don't like having salmon during lunch, I like salmon steaks, you know? But my wife and kids do. And so they know I just don't take it. And so they kind of feel guilty a little bit because, after all, I'm I'm the one paying for all this, so... But they shouldn't feel guilty. They enjoy salmon. They should enjoy the salmon. Um, But one time my wife did ask me, because I asked her. I was like, so how much is that salmon each week? And she's like, how much is your beer? (laughs) And I'm like, conversation over. (laughs) It's like ten times the salmon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, the. and, And literally we're commanded to bring out the finest we got. On Shabbos, finest we got, which means we also have like super decked out wardrobe. You know, we're, we're all wearing like fancy stuff. And if you're Hasidic, you have to you have to, you have to wear like it. I don't even know how much that thing can cost. I mean, I know how much mine yeah. was. Mine, I've got a cheap one. You know, don't tell anybody. <laughs> mine was, mine was only eighteen hundred dollars. Wow. Wow. so cheap. Yeah, yeah, mine I got a discount, but uh, yeah. I got an eighteen hundred dollar one, but the, uh, but like when you see a groom, you ever seen those young couples walking, and they're like, you know, it's like the new couple, and he's in his strimal, which is like seems to be like ten inches taller than everyone else's. <laughs> so you know how much those are? If they're from America, they're six thousand dollars. If they're from Israel, they're four thousand dollars, for for uh, you know marrying off a kid. Which brings us to miracles. What's the miracle? The miracle is think about it. If you have If you have 8, 9, 10 kids, even 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 kids, 11, 12 kids, do you realize that you must have an exit plan? I might have mentioned this earlier this week. You have to have an exit plan. You can't keep those kids that, like, Americans keep their, you know, 1.2 kid, and he's still sleeping in, you know, Bobby's bedroom, you know, at 35 years old, you know, with, like, really long hair, hot boxing, you know? So, you know, like... And he's <laughs> still living at home. Um, um, you know, there he is every morning eating a bowl of cereal at 11. So anyway, can <laughs> you hit me with some of that water? Definitely. That's morning. Morning's 11. It's still a.m. Um, so anyway, you can't do that. When you have a lot of kids, you've got to have an exit plan. You, you get them in, you get them out. You've got to get them out. You, there's no, no, who can afford that? They've got to start their own homes. You can't afford to house those kind of kids for more than the span that you house them. By the way, how long do you house them? You ever thought about this? If you have 10 kids, two a year, let's say for 20 years, which would be like ideal, I guess. But two a year for for 20 years to get 10 kids. And by the time the youngest kid gets out of your house, let's say on the average of 20, you got 40. 40 years of this going on. 40 years. See, secular people, you know what they say? A little quote from the Bronx. Ain't nobody got time for that. Because yeah? they're thinking about themselves most of the time. And, and they're just <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'll have a kid. We will raise that kid. We will get that kid as independent as possible so that he does not cramp our style. Yeah? And they might have another .2 kid. You know, I don't know what that means to have a point two kid, but <laughs> but they want him out too, and but they don't leave; <laughs> they just stay, which is affordable. It's affordable because I anyway, mean, the observant community who has these forty years of kids, like you, are affording kids for forty years, all these years. Anyway, but it's just big time money. So here's my question. In the world of Israel where people have those giant families and they're the yeshiva homes, you know, they're big in yeshiva. When they make those marriages, and these are not usually working people, is there an extra $40,000 around to marry off each kid? Or do they have a sludge fund of $40,000 per kid every two years? But they're all going to be married. They're all getting out of the house. Right. Uh, Rabbi, you're a little older than me. How much can a wedding cost for people who are living just... Because you, you've lived most of your life pretty simply, right? How, well, how much does a wedding cost around? You can get away with $20,000? What are you talking about, 20000 With clothes? With clothes? Everything? I've, my daughters, I've spent 15000 before the wedding started, just shopping in New York for her outfits for the week. I think you're off with that number. What? I was embarrassed to say more, but it's more. You don't want to say how much? Okay, I would, add, I would guess it comes out around 40, but you ready for this part? The vast majority of them buy their children a home. We're talking about a third, a third, and a third. One family plays a third, the other, they buy them paper, by the way, because they want the couple to live near them, because the couple's young, they just got out of diapers. So you're not gonna throw, put them in some community. You you buy them paper in some place they're developing, they live nearby, and you know, they rent nearby. You pay the rent, obviously, because he's just a young guy, and she's just a young gal. Anyway, a third, a third, and a third, they pay the mortgage, that's their third. Their third's the mortgage, and the parents have to get the other two thirds. Tell me, do any of those families have this kind of money lying around? They don't have any money lying around. I, I know one family, the one I'm closest to. They have eleven boys, two girls, and when my parents first came to Israel, they wanted to meet the family that I'm closest to. So we get in a cab, and the old, my parents were renting the old city. We get in a cab, going out there, and believe it or not, this is how long ago it was. A cab from the Jerusalem, from the old city of Jerusalem to Shmuel Navi Street, was was uh, ten shekels. It was ten shekels. That's how, and and that was Tari Steim. That was Friday afternoon. Anyway, we go in there. Here's a man with thirteen kids. He's already married off six of them. All of them own their own homes because of the father who has. Anyway, we go in. So we forgot ten shekels because we dressed for Shabbos and we didn't bring ten shekels. So we say to our cab driver, we say, "Well, we're going upstairs. A very large family. I'm sure there's ten shekels there." No 10 shekels there. I mean, they, they spent 10 more minutes looking through the house for 10 shekels. There was no 10 shekel piece in that entire house. Everyone looked, each kid, everyone searched, no money. So I go down to the cab driver, I'm like, listen, I'm really sorry, just give me your number, and he's just looked at me and he's like, it's Sadaqa, you know, Like, <laughs> drove off. You know, I called it So that 10 shekels is going to Sadaqa. he gave that ride for Sadaqa, and, um... Uh, And uh, he said, put 10 shekels in tzedakah when you get back to the old city. And fine, whatever. So check this out. um, He tells me, the rabbi tells me after Shabbos. Oh, he told me that, that, I said, how can you have no money? He's like, I go into every Shabbos with no money. I'm telling you, it was one of the most sumptuous meals you've ever been at. We were eating like kings and queens in his house, Shabbos. And there wasn't a penny in his house left. Mm. And, and afterwards, he tells me he's coming to see, he wants to come see my parents in the old city. So I tell my father, you better get a checkbook ready. Because <laughs> I have a feeling this is fundraising. So my father gets his checkbook ready. He's ready to get fundraised. And, uh, and the rabbi asked that there should be a female there who could translate for the Rebbitzin who wants to meet my mom. So uh, so there was a woman learning in seminary here in the old city. She translated for my mom. We went out to speak to the rabbi with my father. And the whole time I'm waiting for the pitch. <laughs> no pitch. After about 15 minutes of talking to us, he gets up and leaves and went down to the hotel to pray. The, mu- the woman with her translator still talking, 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 talking. They didn't want any money. You know what they wanted? They came over for one reason. The reason they came over was this woman had, had realized that my mother had gone through menopause and that all she would need to be kosher to my father would be one mikvah. And she only came to explain to her how important it is that she should go get a mikvah. And all they cared about, meeting these wealthy people from L.A., was that the woman should be going to mikvah. Not, a, mm. not a, ever, ever in all the years I've known them have they ever asked me for a penny or my parents for anything. Mm. And they, these are holy, holy people. But here's the best part of the story. I think you'll like this. I walk the rabbi down, and right when I get to the kotel, he says, uh, Yom Tov, sorry, I'm mimicking him. He says, by the way, that girl translating... That's your wife. And then the girl walked the Reviton to the bus stop so she could go to, back to Shemua and she says to her, she says to her, she <laughs> said, she said, you should know, that's your soulmate. And they put it together and we're married now 24 years. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. All oh, my kids were born into their house meaning after the birth my wife stays there and gets over the births and everything and and they've taken care of us all these years. And know? I just want to say one last thing is that there's a lot of bali chuva in the world. And I I think I'd get to be friends with a lot of them, but very few are doing the kinds of things I'm doing just cuz I'm like really out there doing a lot of big stuff. It's all because of them. It's all because of them. Why am I telling you that? Is support people who are coming into Judaism, support them, give them everything you got to stand them up on their feet, because you have no idea what it could do for someone to support them, and how much that can affect in much bigger ripples down the line. Can you imagine what their spiritual realm is going to look like for what they did for me? Those people, all those years. I mean, they literally held me up for year after year after year. I was, I was so lost as a student coming into Jerusalem and to Torah. I mean, I did not know my knee from my elbow. I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what was going on. I had so much learning to do. And, and then there was all, like, the traditions themselves, which I knew nothing of. Knew nothing. You know, I didn't know all of it. And these people took me in, held me up, made me one of theirs. They made me one of them. They don't have a separate wedding picture. It's not like there's the picture with me in it and then the other one with me not in it. I'm in it. I'm in the family pictures. There's no picture where I'm not in it. And all those boys now, 27 years later, they're my brothers. I also have my own brothers. But they're... I mean, I have my brothers from L.A., but these are my brothers all the years later who will, and we're all there for each other no matter what happens in the world. And... Hmm. So, yeah, be there for people. You just don't realize how much you can build a person. If, you, if it's the right click, if it's not the right click, so someone else is going to click with them. But if you click with a, someone who needs building, if you click with that person, build that person. Because they're, they're meant to be connected to your family somehow. And we've done it for many, many people. We've, 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 we've in turn taken in many people, usually younger kids, you know, and they're young teens that we found who uh, things aren't going so hot for them. And usually from Hasidic worlds, some not Hasidic, and, uh, but all from, like, very observant homes. And we've taken them under our wing. You know, we've helped them. And not to mention, probably triple that amount of people we took in from non-observant backgrounds. Okay, now, after all the miracle stories, because all these people marry off their kids, Every go ask someone who's married off a bunch of kids. They'll tell you the following sentence. When you ask them how they do it, they'll tell you every kid was a different crazy story. Give you an example. How'd you do it? (laughs) You don't even remember. Was every kid a crazy story? story. Every kid. (laughs) Yeah, now. (laughs) Whole minion? Ten kids. So freeze frame, freeze frame. We're going to another frame. Is Westerners who choose how many kids they're going to have based on the money. And no one's going above three, because that's what fits in a sedan. You you f- plan your family based on your car size. <laughs> and getting them out. <laughs> so, one sec, I just want to juxtapose that for a moment, and just understand that that there are people with, with like, ten times the amount of money and are earning 10 times the amount of money. They already have it, and they're earning 10 times more than all these giant families. And not only that, they're not even going to marry... Many of them won't even marry off their kids. You know why? Because their kids will be in there 28, 30, 35. They're already making good money. They're not going to their parents to make their wedding. You understand? Their parents are living off their retirement. They're in their 70s now. Because they only had their kids when they were 35. So now they're in their 70s. You're not going to bother your parents to be paying for these kinds of things when you're 35 years old and you're making your own money. You have good money. Make, you marry yourself off. So it's funny, all the parents that plan their kids based on their money in the end didn't even pay for the wedding. Many of them. Many did Many didn't. So it's pretty interesting that, that we've got this all backwards because, and you know what it tells you? Just do the mitzvahs and shut up. <laughs> I mean, it says, be fruitful and multiply. That's what it says. It doesn't say be fruitful and multiply if you have a great income. If it's gonna fit in the sedan. If it's gonna fit in the sedan. <laughs> you know, be fruitful and multiply if you know. It just says be fruitful and multiply. That's it. And and don't ask questions. Just do it. Yeah? Like Nike. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> one more thing, one more thing. Just uh, Hi Rabbi, how are you? We got a really late start today. Because, uh, Neckermeyer and I had a little, a little, what do you call it? A Spad. A duel. <laughs> what do you call it? Oh, no, he didn't realize it was a spot. He just kept teaching. He thought it was a d- two-hour slot. What, what's in five minutes? Josh Pittleman speaking? Wow, well, that's nice. Okay, great. Um, so I will, I'm going to sum this up, but, uh, Bottom line with uh, uh, being being a someone who is into physical possessions and materialism and Judaism, it requires a very high spiritual path to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. Most people can't do both. And if you're willing to take that challenge, so you can go for it. But if you're losing the challenge, so then put up a white flag and get spiritual and let go of the material. But the uh, it's, it's a big challenge to be able to be a fully spiritual person yet be totally involved and invested and, in, you know, entrenched in the materialism world. I thought the whole point was to integrate the two. And then you're saying... If you integrate... Oh, I thought you were talking about wealth. Sorry. My bad. I thought you were talking about wealth. You weren't talking about wealth? not living poor. Well, yeah. Comfortably is the right way to go Comfortably is the right way to go Because if you're not comfortable Your mind's now taken to money Instead of to mm. To spirituality Yeah Oh no Integrated We're supposed to be fully integrated And that's that's like Judaism's Total Physical That's why this class is called Practical Spirituality You know Deal with all your practical stuff and, and be the most spiritual person Anyone ever met Yeah um, I'm not doing the pattern thing sorry uh, you're sure supposed to, to. when it comes to ishtadlus you're supposed to do a minimal ishtadlus and if you see that's not working you do some more and you just keep upping the ishtadlus and the word ishtadlus guys is, is if God's running the show why are you doing anything like let him do it you understand why do it? if you really believe God's going to do it why would you do any of it like it shows a lack of faith like what do you you don't think God can do this for you <laughs> but the answer is you can be totally irresponsible and just sitting there starving, thinking God's going to do this for you. And you're sitting in front of a sandwich and God's going to somehow put it in your mouth. So, <laughs> they find you, like, they find the guy dead, like, in front of a gorgeous, you know, strummy sandwich. And his last words were, God's going to do it. So, anyway, anyway we, we do have to do it, but but you're supposed to do the minimal amount minimal amount necessary for it to be successful. Don't overdo because it's a lack of faith in God. You don't want to overdo. And it, when it involves others, there's another reason why you don't overdo it is because if it involves others saying yes to things, and, well, you need to, God's tunneling from that side of the English Channel and you're tunneling from France and you're like tunneling to get something to happen. So you don't wanna everyone will notice when someone pushes too hard you just run the other way. Yeah. So don't when it when it involves other people saying yes or agreeing or contracts or anything like that. You wanna you wanna do minimal so that their thought processes and their you know, envisioning the whole thing happening. Let them do all that vision quest pot time. So send out the ideas, send them around the globe, do a little something, not a lot. Don't freak people out that they get cold feet and run, and let it tunnel both ways. If you need to do a little more, you'll do a little more. Okay? And last is reincarnation. We're not handling that right now. Um, uh, just a couple announcements. Uh, third meal at my house every week. Um, third meal at my house. Uh, I'll speak to you about plans. I mentioned to John, those things. Third meal at my house is... Um, just turn this off. Good Shabbos, everybody. Please share this out there. And uh, Shalom. Good Shabbos. To everyone else, the... uh You've just experienced another Torah class. Brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.